Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Did you know that eggs are amongst the most nutritious foods on the planet, containing a little bit of almost every nutrient you need? Not only are they full of vitamins and minerals, but they're a good meatless source of inexpensive, high-quality, complete protein. Now, complete proteins contain essential amino acids that your body cannot produce itself and which must come from the diet. This makes eggs a great food choice for vegetarians who may otherwise struggle to get these essential amino acids with meat and fish cut from their diet. On your next supermarket list, add Clarence Court Free Range Eggs. With sunshine yellow yolks, I'm telling you, their rich flavor really can make the most ordinary recipes extraordinary. You can find Clarence Court eggs in all the major supermarkets, including Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Ocado. And to learn more, please visit clarencecourt.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. For years, we've all been told it's important to eat breakfast to start the day right. But a more recent trend, intermittent fasting, throws that wisdom completely out of the window. This technique relies on restricting when you eat to set times. And with over 3,000 books available on Amazon dedicated to intermittent fasting, it's about time we set the record straight. Is there any truth in the supposed health benefits of this latest trend in the dieting world? Well, joining me today is one of the world's leading experts on intermittent fasting, doctor and registered dietitian Rona Antoni. Hello, Rona. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I think when we refer to intermittent fasting, we're not necessarily talking about just one diet, are we? There are several 
types of diets that fall under this category. Exactly. And to complicate matters further as well, everyone's definition of fasting is very different as well. So for some, fasting means exactly that. For others, there's another type of fasting called modified fasting. Ah. So that's where you severely calorie restrict. So you only have about 500 calories a day. To put that into context, that's about two chocolate bars. Gosh, not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot to kind of live on. Um, And you kind of get the same metabolic adaptations as you do with fasting completely but it's a way of just making it easier so there are two kind of different approaches to fasting and then there's the other aspect of it's actually an umbrella term and you've got things like intermittent energy restriction and time restricted feeding as well so with intermittent energy restriction that's primarily been a studied as a weight loss approach yeah so you've got examples such as the 5-2 diet where you fast or do a modified fast for two days of the week or alternate day fasting which means exactly that Um, whereas time restricted feeding there's not necessarily a prescribed calorie restriction and it's not necessarily solely intended for weight loss but it's just restricting food intake to a narrower time interval which thereby extends the length of the daily fast so again it's a different type of intermittent fasting it goes to show there's so much more to it than i think people yes, realize, realize yeah. <laughs> and you've obviously spent a lot of your life researching this area exactly yeah which is why you're the perfect guest to have on i think despite the concept of fasting having been around thousands of years the popularity of these diets seems to have soared over the past few years. In fact, I think it's estimated that the 5-2 has been undertaken by around 40% of dieters. What do you think about this? Um, I think um, it first really came into the public's attention back in 2012 with Michael Mosley when he recorded that Horizons programme on fasting and I think it captured everyone's imagination and at that point I just started thinking about doing research and then it really captured my imagination and I just thought I want to do research and a dietary intervention. I looked at the data out there and there was barely any um, human studies so I just thought here we go. This is my angle. Well, it's good to say that because I think a lot of influencers on social media, celebrities pick up on this. And I think their version of fasting perhaps isn't the same as the version you're researching. Um, Yes. So again, there are just so many different variations um, on it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I know because the majority of my clients that we have in the nutrition clinic that have attempted intermittent fasting, they've done this because they see it purely as a weight loss um, measure. So what exactly does the research say? Um, So again, just kind of branching into the two different types. So with the 5-2 diet and alternate day fasting which have been studied as weight loss approaches they've generally shown yep by calorie restricting for just a few days of the week you could still lose weight probably no better than conventional dieting approaches where you calorie restrict every day so in that case it's um, not special uh, in the sense that it is just purely down to the calorie restriction in that regard With time-restricted feeding, it's never really been studied as a weight loss aid, but an unintentional consequence of it is people tend to cut down on calories accidentally and therefore lose weight without really thinking about it. So in that case, it's quite appealing. Yeah, no, I think um, overall energy in, energy out seems to be... exactly. (laughs) ...seems to be the thing there because... It becomes a bit of a ritual and, and I often find that you've got to be a certain type of person to embark upon this in the first place yeah. because I think for so many it can become maybe a bit obsessive or all they can think about is food when they're trying to actively restrict. But at the same time, there are other claims about intermittent fasting, which I think we have to discuss, and that it can help with treating serious diseases like cancer and cardiovascular disease 
Is there any emerging body of research to support these claims? Um, so, yes. Yeah, so there's a growing body of evidence, uh, particularly in humans. And so my main emphasis has always been on cardiovascular disease and type yeah. 2 diabetes. Um, so with regards to that, there is some evidence, um, A, due to the fact that you're losing weight, but B, potentially due to the diet itself. It may lead to greater improvements in certain risk factors, mm. such as uh, insulin sensitivity, mm-hmm. which could have long-term implications for example for your diabetes risk but it's not always seen in all studies so there's always that take that with a pinch of salt really well, that's the thing because are these studies in currently healthy individuals um it's a combination it's a combination so now we've done studies both in healthy individuals in people with pre-diabetes mm-hmm. and right forward to people with diabetes and generally yeah. speaking it has shown benefits and in my own research I've taken a slightly different slant to looking at it so the majority of weight loss studies to date have got people to follow a diet for six months compared to the effects um, to conventional dieting approaches on risk factors for cardiovascular disease and diabetes okay Um, whereas I instead of getting them to follow a diet for a set period of time I got them to lose a set amount of weight instead so that therefore you're controlling the element of weight loss so that helps us to determine are there any metabolic benefits to these type of diets over and beyond their effects on um, weight loss and it seems to be at least tentatively based on a couple of studies including my own and Bath who have recently replicated um, that it seems to um, promote greater efficiency at clearing fat after a meal which is an important Mm. cardiovascular disease risk factor and it's not solely explained by weight loss. Mm. So that's something that I think requires further attention because this is seen in people who are relatively healthy who don't necessarily have an established impairment in doing so to start off with. So basically for people that are um, fasting or for time-restricted eating, let's say, it's just helping them digest their fat in their food better. Um, Yeah, so that's to do more with the 5-2 diet. So it's just a case of if you're continuously fasting, you're therefore Mm -hmm. more adept at using fat. So that manifests in the fact that you then clear fat faster when you do eat. And it's so good, but I think it's also so important to add that you've got to be able to probably maintain this way of eating as a lifestyle. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And studies up until now have generally not lasted beyond about a year or so. Mm. So I think the next step in, particularly with the 5-2 and alternate day fasting, is to look at it from a weight maintenance aspect. So what happens once people um, come off this diet? And can it also be used as a weight maintenance approach? Time-restricted feeding is quite interesting as well um, in that, as I mentioned, it doesn't always result in weight loss. Mm. But there's certain evidence that types of time-restricted feeding such as early time-restricted feeding, so not eating later than three o'clock, may have um, benefits in reducing uh, diabetes risk factors, even in the absence of any weight loss. So that's quite an appealing thing that I think we need to take forward and learn more about. Interesting. No, it's fascinating because I wonder if you would think about implementing this to people daily or is it once a week or how does that work? (laughs) Uh, Yes, so that's uh, an important question and the majority of the research has done it on a continuous basis. However, having run these studies myself, what I do understand is everyone has a social life. No one wants to, (laughs) you know, stop eating at three o'clock. So I think there needs to be an element of flexibility and I think 
think the next step in time-restricted feeding is to look to see what happens if you only do it every other day or yeah. for five days of the week. Because realistically, a lot of my participants said, this is great, I can do it, but probably not every day. So well, No, and I think it depends on what your job is and your As lifestyle. Well. Yeah, yeah. There are so many people that are running around like crazy things exactly. every exactly. single day. Exactly. So what actually happens to our bodies when we adopt a state of fasting? Because there are claims that it's giving the body a break, you know, but also some people say, does it go into starvation mode? Yeah, so once you're entering a state of fasting, what your body's trying to do is to um, preserve glucose for um, organs such as the brain, for instance. So what it does is it therefore takes fat out of your fat stores and uses that as an energy source instead. Mm. And as well, by doing that, you limit the amount of glucose you use and therefore you limit the amount of muscle or amino acids that you have to use to then produce more glucose for organs such as your brain, for instance. Mm. Um, And there is that element of, but does the body go into starvation mode? And I don't think we truly fast for long enough to really enter that kind of state of starvation for it to kind of have any kind of deleterious um, effects on your body. What version or how long would you say it takes to fast to get into that stage? Um, Probably over 24 hours, 36 hours and independent on the effects on starvation as well it's studies particularly in mice that showed that the potential for harm for following this type of diet Mm. occurs when you're fasting for 24 to 36 hours or more so it's kind of a case of you don't have to go to extreme lengths because i'm often asked so how long should I fast for? And people want to take it to extremes, but really you don't necessarily have to. <laughs> I think as human beings, we are very yeah, extreme, yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, it's very all or nothing, the mindset. That's the psychology side of things. So what would be the side effects that people should be aware of when they when they implement something like this? Because I'm very aware we have lots of listeners that may be like, oh, I'm just going to try and do a 24-hour fast, but we wouldn't yeah. really recommend that. No, no. Um, so the major kind of side effects, um, so obviously you've not got as much glucose, so you start feeling hungry hungry or hangry as people like to call it as well honestly rona i get so hangry (laughs) (laughs) and you know it might cause headaches or um decreased attention for example dehydration if you're not drinking enough um but at the same time other people report the complete opposite so some people just feel as if their mental clarity is improved by fasting so it is very very individual so for me i can't fast more than about four hours until i need food but for some people they can just kind of go on and on so it's very very individual but those are the main kind of side effects. I really appreciate you saying that it's very individual because one very worrying thing, as you mentioned just a moment ago, that some datering rats suggests one thing and you can't apply that possibly to everyone. Exactly, exactly. So a study in rodents means absolutely nothing because, yeah, beyond the fact that we don't have a tail, there are so many other different aspects. And and what about if you're pregnant or, you know, you've got different an illness that you can't do it? Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't recommend it, for instance, in pregnancy. No. or very kind of established illnesses. Um, Diabetes, potentially, it does have therapeutic benefits, but you would need to be monitored quite closely by your clinicians as well due to the risk of things like low blood sugars. Yeah, this is exactly why we have you on because we know that, as we've just spoken about, 20% of the energy we consume every day is used by our brains in the form of glucose. And what impact would it have on our brain function? Would, Would you experience brain fog, loss of memory? Um, not necessarily loss of memory, but just decreased concentration potentially. But at the same time, like I said, some people report improved mental clarity. So it's very yeah. much dependent on the individual. And I've kind of done some research looking at mood, for instance. And ultimately, we don't 
find any changes, but that's because for some people, mood significantly improves. For some, it significantly worsens, so then it kind of just evens out to nothing in the end. So again, it's just highly individual, and it's a case of working with the individual to see what type of fasting works for them. 100%. Um, I actually saw, and it was pretty big on social media, intermittent fasting, um, well, around a year or two ago, it was blowing up, but in particular people that are not qualified in the area, yeah, yeah. giving out advice. Um, a few personal trainers I saw doing it, lots of various people. But for you as a researcher, that must be quite frustrating because you're seeing messages that conflict with what you're trying to achieve. Yes, exactly. And I recognise a lot of the apparent evidence about intermittent fasting is just based on rat studies, for example, or just one very obscure study. And it's just... There are so many things we don't know about intermittent fasting. So me, even as a clinician, I would be reluctant at this moment to necessarily prescribe something like the 5-2 or alternate day fasting for a long period of time until I understand the data better and know the long-term consequences, whereas others just kind of think, yeah, just give it a go and then don't give them any guidance. No, I know. I mean, I think there's even a... a to somebody preaching just have one or two meals a day or something you've got to be so careful I think with these things overall because I would also argue that intermittent fasting if abused could lead to disordered eating and poor relationships with food we, we find a lot that if people fail or break a rule yeah yeah it leads to feelings of shame or guilt and do you have any advice or warnings around that area? Um, I think as clinicians, um, we just need to exercise our own judgment and experience. So if someone you know has a unhealthy relationship with food or has had eating disorders in the past, to perhaps steer clear of suggesting this approach. And if you find that they are becoming continuously frustrated or feel as if they're breaking rules... Yeah. One of two things, either just suggest perhaps this diet isn't really working for you or perhaps if they are getting continuously frustrated, it's because they need to try a different type of approach so they need to modify it so that way you remove the element of guilt Yeah. because the type of diet you're trying with them doesn't fit with their lifestyle. So obviously it is a worrying thing for people that are triggered and with disordered eating, but when would it be a good thing to advise intermittent fasting? Um, I think the majority of the patient I, patients I advise this type of diet for are the types that have kind of really struggled on the con- kind of more conventional dieting approach, who need a more structured approach, mm. who, for instance, um, just like the idea that on two days of the week, for instance, so one approach of the 5-2 diet is using meal replacement products, for instance, mm. and they find the idea of two days of the week not really having to worry about what they're eating um, they would find that more beneficial than just trying to consciously calorie restrict every single day. Mm. Uh, Potentially, as the research kind of moves forward, it could also have applications, greater applications for people at risk of type 2 diabetes, people who have got certain uh, lipid disorders such as raised triglycerides. I think it does have a lot of potential, but the research is definitely still very much in its infancy. That's it. Yeah, no, it's definitely a bit of a baby waiting to grow there, I think. Um, I definitely hear a lot of clients saying they struggle with the, well, just the world of diets in general and calorie counting. So if you are that type of individual that can go to work, you forget to eat and you're just going to have your meal replacements, then that's going to suit you, I think. It goes to show we're so unique. And also, we've got to be absolutely as nutritionists and as a dietitian sat here in this studio, we've got to be aware of nutritional deficiencies that could appear. And of course, this is when seeing a health professional really does matter, doesn't it? 
Exactly, because you can fast in so many different ways. A, there's fasting, but if you're having 500 calories, where are you sourcing those 500 Is calories it the two from? chocolate bars? Exactly, yeah, hopefully not, hopefully not. Um, and even on when you're not fasting as well, what are you actually eating? So you need to make sure that you do maximise nutrition when you do eat. And I place a careful emphasis on making sure that my uh, patients and also participants have a healthy diet yeah. outside of this. And then they don't necessarily as well have to then think about calories either because if they're eating healthily then naturally they won't overeat for instance as well that's a very interesting point that i actually see a lot as well is that when people eat well and they respect their bodies their body really does love them back it's one of those cliche things but to what extent does the time of the day impact the nutritional status so i hear a lot of talk on is there a is lunchtime better for optimum nutrition or yeah. dinner? Yeah, so there are many kind of different aspects of that. So focusing, first of all, on metabolism and heart health and diabetes risk, the optimal time to eat would definitely be more in the morning compared to the evening. So they've done lots of studies. So, for instance, if you give someone a um, fry-up in the morning and the same fry-up in the evening, the efficiency in which your body kind of metabolizes and clears the nutrients in that meal is best in the morning compared yep. to the evening dieters who tend to eat their calories earlier on in the day also tend to lose weight a lot more and that's for various reasons and also appetite if you feed someone the same meal in the morning compared to the evening appetite responses are very different so people are more prone to overeating in the evening so the evidence suggests kind of breakfast like a king oh I love that yeah yeah exactly yeah (laughs) everyone's heard of that one I know but eating breakfast like a king is quite difficult to do for so many because of obviously their lifestyle and you end up getting really bland options Whereas I think most people maximise, and this is where we have it wrong, actually, especially in the UK, is that we really have our biggest meal in the evening at dinner. Yeah, yeah. And I think most of my clients don't eat enough protein throughout the day. And then suddenly they have their huge whack in the evening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So timing is a very interesting thing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So if we're looking at things like likelihood of overeating at other meals, did you find that with any of your research, people then went on to overeat at particular meals if they were time-restricted? Um, not so. What I found is they tended to accidentally cut calories um, ah. without kind of really intending to. And there was a recent study that came out about a couple of days ago that showed that appetite just kind of evens out over the course of the day. So this ah. was time-restricted feeding, eating no later than 3pm. And you would think that people would be absolutely ravenous by eight o'clock but in fact appetite was a lot 
more evened out compared to when they were eating three meals a day with their last meal at eight o'clock. Yeah, I, I think so much of this is really fascinating. I can't wait to see your research emerge and grow because ultimately, as you've said, we are unique, but we've got a, there's different areas and I call it the kind of spider web of nutrition. Like yeah. We're in the middle of the web. <laughs> you've got the social situations, yeah. the family routine, yeah. societal norms, what's expected yeah. of you. And actually, perhaps we've lost sight of what does work for our body. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's just very difficult to follow an approach like this where 24-7 you're subjected to food cues and just having food around you and also lifestyles are just not conducive to fasting. So it takes a lot of effort, a mental effort to kind of follow an approach like this, which is why as well as researchers, it's important to look to see how we can improve the flexibility. And it's important to try approaches that are more feasible. So, for instance, I will never ask someone to fast for an entire day because that's not feasible or potentially not ask everyone to only eat until three o'clock because realistically it's the cultural norm to eat late in the evening so it's just kind of um kind of modifying your advice so the same okay just don't eat after seven or eight so it's just kind of modifying it really i mean i should add of course there are situations religious situations where like ramadan where fasting is a a cultural norm yes exactly yeah have you done any research on ramadan or areas um i haven't done any research but i have read um, some of the research around it and it very much depends because there are so many different cultures um, who follow these principles so it's very much dependent on the country under study so in some countries you get kind of transient improvements in risk factors for diabetes and cardiovascular disease in others you don't because it's very much dependent on what they do eat in the end Uh, but it is always transient because after the month is up they resume their normal eating patterns of course no it's very interesting a lot of people have reported as well getting headaches when they fast is that something to be expected Uh, particularly with ramadan because they're not drinking as well so certainly um and also um not getting enough carbohydrate or glucose can also uh, lead to headaches as well so i certainly anecdotally find that as well if i don't eat uh, for a period of time no a hundred percent i think there's also an argument today as well that the fact that fasting isn't for everyone but there's a certain feeding window that now seems to be spoken about in the media do you see this as something we should be recommending on a mass scale um i think on a mass scale it's just kind of coming up with realistic targets so perhaps just not eating too late so after seven or eight o'clock so i think on a mass scale certainly that for people who are at higher risk of for instance, diabetes, perhaps just trying to tailor that and looking mm-hmm. at potentially trying a more targeted approach, such as the yeah. early time feeding, should their um, lifestyle permit that. Yeah, and do you think everybody should or will be one day intermittent fasting? Realistically, <laughs> not. <laughs> because, yeah, our lifestyle is just not conducive to no. doing so. But no. Yeah. Okay, well, that leads me on to questions that we've had from followers today. Um, So the first one is from Timmy. And Timmy has said, is it always better to eat smaller meals in the evening? We've kind of touched on that, but is it always better? Um, Again, very, very individual in that sense. But in terms of calories, yes, having your smallest meal in the evening would probably be uh, more beneficial in terms of your uh, health. So eating more in the morning and then less in the evening, yeah. So the next question Michelle has asked is that my PT told me I shouldn't be eating carbs after lunchtime. Is this true? Um, I don't think there is an element of truth behind that. Um, And when it comes to carbohydrates, you can't group all carbohydrates together. And the evidence shows that whole grain carbohydrate 
bearing in mind the quantity in that you're not overdoing it is part of a healthy balanced diet so oh rona i could not have put that more beautifully myself (laughs) the two cues the quality and the quantity exactly Exactly. context matters precisely please don't shame the carbs guys we actually have another podcast episode specifically on carbohydrates so that you can definitely go and check that one out Ryan has said, is one type of intermittent fasting diet better for weight loss than others? Um, The studies suggest they're just as kind of good. Um, So it's the extent of weight loss is dependent on the length of the study as opposed to the actual type of diet itself. No study is actually directly compared, for instance, the 5-2 diet, an alternate day fasting. Mm. But when you piece all of the studies together, weight loss is comparable. So it's a case of finding which approach really works best for you. No, it, it's so true. We we have an episode on weight loss as well, yeah. specifically. And essentially, all of these diets, is a reason why we say diets don't work, but yeah. all of it comes down to your, your overall energy and your lifestyle. Yeah. What works for you? So... That was very, very well put. Now, what a gorgeous name. Toya. Toya has said, if I don't eat a snack at 4pm, I get really bad stomach pains. Is this normal? Um, it... Hmm. I think without knowing more about her, no, it's not Toya, kind of... Yeah. I've got to say, Toya, this could be so many, many things. things. Perhaps you need to check with your GP because we don't know what you're even eating. Yeah, so I can't really speculate without kind of having more information, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think sometimes when some people leave um, gaps between eating for too long and it doesn't suit them, because obviously everyone's very different, but it's very difficult to say. Now, Omar has said that I read that sticking to intermittent fasting for a few years makes your body really efficient at metabolising food for the rest of your life, and therefore you can generally stay slim. <laughs> Unfortunately, I cannot say that with any certainty. No study lasted more than a year, and if you're a rodent, you'll lo- you'll live longer. Um, but unfortunately, us humans, we don't quite know yet. We're not quite there yet with the research. <laughs> no, no. I was going to say, if if only we had a hundred years of data yeah, exactly, on something, yeah, that'd be but, amazing. But we're not going. Oh gosh, that, oh, we're not going to be here, are we? When we see I that know, data. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yeah. On that note, so Rona, that leads me on to my favourite part of the podcast: our fact or fiction round are you ready yep i'm ready okay so we need you to answer fact or fiction to the following questions okay intermittent fasting makes you lose muscle true but with the caveat of not more so than other conventional dieting approaches Excellent. So I can't stick to no, 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 no. We had this debate last time, that, and this is for an academic. It's their worst nightmare. Quick fire round. Um, we shouldn't eat after eight pm. False in the sense that occasionally it's absolutely fine to do so if you're out for a social meal or if your lifestyle doesn't permit it. But generally speaking, if say five days of the week you could eat before eight o'clock or not too late, then that's probably going to be better for you. Yeah, I guess it depends what time you go to bed. I yeah, suppose exactly. as well. Um, fasting slows down your metabolism. True to a certain extent. Okay, do you want to delve into that a little bit? Um, so it can cause a slight slowdown in your metabolic rate, but that's then um, counteracted by the fact that you don't really tend to then overeat when you do eat after that. Excellently put. Fasting increases your stress hormone cortisol. Um, yes. Ah. It is, um, yeah. <laughs> Intriguing. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. True. Oh, I love that you said that's true. (laughs) Starving makes us absorb more calories in our next meal. False. Yeah. There we go. False. Fasting makes you overeat. 
it can be true or false. <laughs> Sorry, this is the worst <laughs> nightmare for research. <laughs> we had um, David Grimes in series two say the word faction. He merged the two together, fact and fiction. <laughs> oh, um, why did you not tell me about this? Sorry, I don't like to give it away. Um, skipping breakfast will make you lose weight. False. Eating carbs before bed helps us sleep better. Dependent on the individual. There you go. <laughs> Fasting can give you more energy than eating. Dependent on the individual. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do fact and fiction. <laughs> no, that's great. Well, thank you so much. You did a very, very good job at our fact or fiction round. Thank you. And that nearly wraps up this episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today would be that as with all nutrition advice one of the most important things to remember is that we're unique and that this could not be more relevant today with the discussion that Rona and I have been having because while some may find intermittent fasting is beneficial and seemingly thrive on such a diet others may not fare so well we're all so completely individual that as with any diet nothing can be expected to work for everyone We've discussed today some of the potential advantages of intermittent fasting, but we've also covered the side effects that, you know, it could impact your mood, your energy levels, perhaps most importantly, the potential for disordered eating, which is something that we see a lot in the nutrition clinic. Um, in fact, we try and discuss this topic frequently on the nutrition social media platforms because we have to realise that psychology and nutrition are very interlinked. A diet that's based on rules and restrictions can have a longer term you know, negative consequence on someone. So please be mindful of this if you're considering an intermittent fasting diet. And always please consult with a registered nutritionist or dietitian if you need any support. Somebody like the amazing Rona that we have in front of us who clearly knows what she's talking about. So Rona, if I could ask you to leave our listeners with one food for thought. Anything you think would be a good take home message. Don't believe what you read in the media and in books. Consult a appropriate healthcare professional. What a to-the-point food for thought. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rona, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for listening to Food for Thought. It really is amazing to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you will absolutely love what's coming next week. So please make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please, if you have time, do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.